This episode of the Early Risers podcast is sponsored by the 5-Day Peak Performance Challenge. Guys and girls, if you are an entrepreneur or high performer struggling with poor focus, low energy, or no time, or maybe you're just looking to push yourself and level up your mental clarity and your daily performance without caffeine or other types of drugs, make sure to check out this challenge. In just five days, you're going to learn how to explode your daily energy, focus, and time, propel yourself into a deeper and more restful sleep, and build massive productivity and momentum in your life. People have been loving this challenge so far, and if you're ready to commit to taking things to that next level, make sure you check out the show notes for the link to join. Five days, five different ways to explode your performance. Make sure you check it out. And with that being said, let's get into the show. What's going on, everybody? You are listening to the Early Risers podcast. I'm your host, Skylar Deem, and I am an early riser. I'd like to take a second and just welcome you to the show. If you are a first-time listener, the show is all about helping you live a more effective life. And it's called the Early Risers Podcast because that's what I believe an early riser to be. Someone who wakes up earlier than they have to because they want to live life more effectively, because they want to carve out their ideal life, right? Because we know how easy it is to sleep in. We know how easy it could be to stay in bed or to press snooze. But those who are hungry for life, those who want to become more, want to be more, want to do more, these are the people that get up earlier than they have to and use that time to get better. So welcome to the show. I'm super, super excited to have you. And of course, as always, I'm very excited for today's show. Today's show is a little special. It's going to be for parents. If you are a soon-to-be parent, if you are a current parent, or even if you're going to be a parent in the future and you're just looking to get that head start with knowledge when it comes to parenting, this show is all about that. It's going to be a great episode. I will introduce the guest, but we're going to break some common myths around parenting. You know, some of the things you hear of whether or not you should spank your kids, whether or not you can drink caffeine when you're pregnant, whether or not you can send your kids to daycare, whether that's the right choice. Regardless, the show is going to do a great, great job of diving into the data and I'm very excited for the guest. So if you enjoy today's show, my one ask is that you head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Let us know what you think of the show. The more ratings and reviews that the show gets, the higher we are ranked, which means the better guests I can bring on for you. So this is something that's going to help you out too. It's not just helping me out. So I appreciate that in advance. But with that being said, make sure you connect with me on social at Early Risers Movement. Make sure you hit me up with anything. I love connecting with my listeners. I love connecting with new people. Seeing you post episodes and share episodes on your page or on your stories and tagging me is super, super fulfilling. It lets me know that the episodes I put out are resonating, that they're helping, and that I'm providing value to you. So I would love if you could do that and tag me. But besides that, reach out if you need anything else. And let's get into the show. So today's special guest is Emily Oster. Emily is a professor of economics at Brown University and author of Crib Sheet, A Data-Driven Guide to Better, More Relaxed Parenting from Birth to Preschool. And I'm a big fan of this book because there is so much information out there about 
parenting and the wrong thing to do and the right thing to do. And this book is completely data-driven. It has studies who back it. And for anyone who listens to the podcast, you know I'm big on research. I'm big on statistics and data. So this is super, super powerful. So Emily, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm great. Do you mind starting us off today just sharing a little bit about yourself and your story, kind of how you got into this topic and yeah, just just more about you. Sure. So, um, so I'm an economist. I'm a professor at at Brown at the moment, and I got into I got into doing this because I got pregnant, and that was you know now like nine years ago, and I got very frustrated with the the quality of evidence behind a lot of the recommendations I was being given, or even whether I was given any recommendations. So. I felt like there were a lot of things in in pregnancy and then later in parenting where people were just like, oh, yeah, that's the way we do it, like without explaining why. And I channeled some of that frustration into doing a lot of my own research uh, around pregnancy and questions that ranged from things like, you know, is it okay to have a cup of coffee all the way to, you know, how should I really understand the genetic testing landscape and, you know, what does the data say about epidurals. And so I wrote a book, which came out now maybe six years ago, called Expecting Better, which is all about data in pregnancy. And then I had some kids. I have Now I have two. And in the, in the process of parenting, I found, you know, a lot of the same kinds of issues around data and evidence and, and trying to get to the bottom of, of what's really a good decision. Uh, those things all came up again in, in parenting. And, and so we ultimately uh, wrote this second book, Crib Sheet, which is, takes the same kind of data-driven uh, approach to, to parenting that I took to, to pregnancy. Um, but in the meantime, I'm also a person who writes academic papers, and I, um, I work on basically health economics and study how people make health choices and how statistical methods may or may not work so well uh, in, in analyzing data. So I do, I do a bunch of different bunch of different things, not just the books, but, uh, but largely, largely the books. (laughs) Yeah. And, and like I said, like it is so needed just because of all the information out there. And even as someone who's not a parent, I've still heard both sides of the story, like compared to, you know, paying attention to your kid if they cry or just letting them cry themselves to sleep or, you know, discipline, should you spank them? Should you not spank them? And there's so many conflicting opinions out there. So I do really appreciate your data-driven approach. And so if it's okay with you, I'd like to use this episode as a way to really dive into some of the common myths, maybe get into some misconceptions about parenting, and yeah, really just give give the listeners as much value as possible. Sounds great. So I guess we can start, I'd like to break it up by just different sections, just like you break up the book. Um, and before we go any further, of course, there's so much in the book. So I really recommend if any of the listeners like what they hear and they're looking to do more research, definitely check out the book that will be in the show notes. Um, but the book is broken into four parts. The first part focusing on early on in pregnancy. The second part focusing on the big decisions of the first year of parenting. The third part is the transition from a baby to a toddler. And then I like the the fourth part a lot because it deals with issues in the family, issues with couples and issues with families and how babies can affect that. So could we start off by just touching on part one kind of early on, um, maybe some big 
points that you'd like to highlight or maybe big myths that you'd like to break? So, I mean, I think in the, in the, so the first part of the book is really kind of the, the, like, you know, I think it's called the first three days and, and it really tries to, to touch on kind of the, the first choices that you're going to have to make. And I think there are some of those that are around uh, the baby, like circumcision, or should your newborn get a bath or should they stay in the room with you and, and things like that. Um, but I think that the place that I, I was most, the chapter that I was most excited about in that, in that part is, um, is about the sort of postpartum health for, for the mom. So I think that then in a lot of parenting books, you, you get a sort of exclusive focus on the, the baby, uh, which is appropriate. It is a book about parenting. Um, and then of course there's a lot of pregnancy books, which are all about, you know, what it's like to be pregnant and, and so on. Uh, but I, I felt like there was this missing space where there wasn't as much, there wasn't as much literature talking about just the reality of like what, you know, what happens physically and emotionally uh, after, after birth. And so, so the book tries to go through like, you know, here's what you should expect to happen after you are expecting, you know, here is, uh, here is a, a depression screen that like everyone in the family should take. So you are, you know, aware of, of whether people are, are struggling. And I think that that, kind of normalizing that experience is a, is a really important part of bringing, you know, bringing kind of data or rationality into this obviously very, you know, happy, exciting, but also pretty difficult period for a lot of people. So are there any big misconceptions in that space? Um, of course, you know, what happens is a very broad spectrum of emotionally, physically, all that. Um, is there anything you'd like to highlight? I mean, I think one one thing to highlight is that you know, when we talk about about depression, we you know postpartum depression, we're almost always kind of thinking in our minds about about the experience of the birth the birth parent. Um, but uh, but actually, you know, postpartum emotional issues can arise uh, in everyone, not just the birth parent. Um, and I think that's very rarely, we already have trouble recognizing this even in, in, in birth parents, but we certainly don't have an easy time acknowledging that this can happen for, for, uh, for other, for other people in the family. And so I, and again, even things like depression screens, like, you know, typically at a six week postpartum checkup, you'll, you know, you'll do a depression screen, which is great, but, you know, dad or a non-birth mom or an adoptive parent is not having that, uh, not having that screen, not having that, that appointment, but those, those, you know, groups are still people who are, who are effective and so affected rather. So I, so I actually put the, the sort of most common depression screen physically in the book and said, you know, Hey, like everybody should do this. And, and it is not just the, the mom who, who can be affected by, by postpartum emotional problems. So when it comes to kind of after the first few days and it gets more towards the first year, you know, of course, like I said, I'm not a parent, so I don't know truly how the first year goes, like what the big moments are, what the big challenges and struggles. Um, but there is there anything that you see prevalent of how parents handle their kids or how they think they should handle their kids that maybe isn't the best way to go about it? You know, I think it's in some ways the message of the book is is really that there are a lot of good ways to parent. Um, so there are, you know, there are a few things uh, that I'm sort of clear that that people should do or, or kind of are strongly evidence-based, like vaccinations, for example, you should vaccinate your kids. But the, 
there are so many things in parenting where people have very strong preferences, very strong, like preferences isn't even the right word, very strong views where people will tell you like, this is the right way to do it. And if you do it a different way, they'll tell you like you're doing it wrong. And even random people on the street will tell you that the ways in which you're, uh, you're, you're doing it wrong. And I think that, that pressure, um, where, you know, no matter what you do, someone is telling you that it's, it's not right. I think that that's, that's part of what makes this early period of parenting so, so high stress. And so I, I think the approach in the book is almost to say like, hey, there are many good choices. Uh, so there isn't, there isn't necessarily a way to like optimize your, your baby. There's, there's data. You can use the data to make choices, but you, uh, you may not make the same choices as other people. And many choices are, are good choices. And I think that's, um, I think that's a, that's a useful message. And it, it takes some of the pressure off, off this experience that can feel like, you know, every choice is an opportunity to totally mess up your kid. Mm. And I think that's super, super powerful, just being able to enter parenting, which is probably a super stressful thing already, and not have to be so uptight about making the right call. Yeah, and just recognizing also that, that you know, most of the choices that you make, like, are, you know, they, they're, maybe they're going to affect your, your lifestyle, but they are not the choice that is going to make or break the success of your kid. And I think in the moment of early parenting, it can feel like every choice is like that, mm. including like, you know, do you put them to sleep for 20 minutes or 15 minutes? Like that can seem like the most important possible thing. And, and I think recognizing that not only is that not the most important thing, but actually m even the bigger choices are, are probably not something you have to obsess as much about, or, or there's something where there's, you know, you can think about what works for your family and that that should be a part of that decision. Mm. I think that's, that's kind of the that's kind of the message. Yeah, I like that a lot. Thank you for sharing. Um, so, for a parent who has just had a baby, or maybe who has a toddler, do you have any specific recommendations for maintaining a family dynamic, um, not letting stress overtake the relationship between the two parents, or basically still maintaining a healthy relationship in the family while the new child is present? So I think, you know, it, it almost all marriages, and I talk a little bit about this data in the, in the book, almost all marriages have some stress associated with, you know, the first year. And it's, it's not surprising because, you know, a baby brings a lot of great stuff and you're, you know, newly connected to, to your spouse in a way that you weren't before, but also you're like a lot more tired and you have less money and you have less time and, you know, you have more things to have conflict on because neither of you know what you're doing and you both probably think that you know what's the right thing. So I think there, there's sort of accepting that there is an inevitable amount of stress that, that is going to come is already a sort of helpful first uh, first step. And then, you know, I think there is some evidence behind the idea of like just having like marriage check-ins. So, you know, we, I think one of the things that can happen when you have kids is, is sort of because the kid is so central, you sort of forget the, the kind of connection with the, with the spouse. And so, you know, things like date nights, sure, like you should get a chance to talk to your, to talk to your partner some of the time, but also, you know, having a regular period where you sit down and say like, okay, like, you know, how are things going? Like, you know, do you feel like you're doing too much work? Are there ways in which we can be more helpful to each other? There, there is some evidence that that's useful. And I think it's kind of useful in part, and this I talk a little bit about sort of reflecting on my own experience, but I think it's useful in part because when you do that, 
you kind of recognize the things that the other person's doing that you haven't been thinking about. It's like so easy to see the stuff that we do and very hard to recognize the stuff that our, that our partner is doing. Cause uh, like, I'm not doing it, you know, and it's easy to be like, well, all that stuff's super easy. And the stuff that I do is really hard. But then when you actually sit down and be like, oh, oh, like the things you're doing aren't as easy as I thought. I think that that can generate some, some sort of feelings of, you know, warmth and, and more equality um, than, than otherwise. Mm. Awesome. So do you mind if we, I, I wrote down basically a bunch of dig, a uh, bunch of big bullet points of common myths and common arguments when it comes to parenting. So you mind if we just kind of go through and based on the data? Absolutely. Let's do it. Awesome. So the first thing that I hear about a lot is caffeine during pregnancy. And I think you mentioned that briefly at the beginning of this episode, but what does the data say about drinking caffeine while you are pregnant? The data says that some caffeine is fine. So the big concern with with coffee consumption is that it could lead to to miscarriage. But I think that, you know, while the the evidence on having a huge amount of coffee, like eight or nine cups a day, is more mixed, could be interpreted as as suggesting that there really is a link there. Uh, when you're talking about, you know, two, even maybe three cups of, of coffee a day, the the evidence on these links is really is not there at all. So if you want to have some some coffee, that's fine. Perfect. So the baby is born and it cries every time you put it in its crib, him or her. <laughs> is there evidence that says that letting the baby cry it out is better or tending to the baby is better? So so first of all, we're talking about like at this point, not a baby who has just arrived one second ago, but you know, like right. it is kind of after after a few a few months. Um and the big debate in in this literature is, is, you know, is if you let your baby cry to go to sleep, uh, will they, will they sleep better? And the answer is yes. Uh, the evidence suggests that babies and parents, uh, sleep better after some, some cry it out treatment. And then the concern that people often raise is that this will somehow lead your baby to, to hate you and, uh, your kid to have trouble forming attachments. Um, and there isn't any, there isn't any evidence to support that concern. Uh, when, when people do these kind of randomized trials and then follow kids, even, you know, five or six years later, the kids who had sleep trained look just like the kids who were not. So, um, so that doesn't mean that you have to, that you have to do this. It doesn't mean that, you know, that you're a bad parent if you don't let the baby cry, but it does mean if that's something that that you know you think would improve the the health and well being of your of your family, you shouldn't feel uh, you shouldn't feel worried or upset about doing it. Perfect. So the child is now a little bit older, maybe a year to three years, or it's it's in the toddler spectrum, and it misbehaves. What is the protocol for discipline for a child? Is spanking okay, or is spanking a no go? Uh, spanking is a no-go. So, so when we look at this evidence, there is actually some, you know, good evidence in favor of um, of pot, what we call like positive parenting uh, interventions. So, the idea of of discipline through consistency, um, giving kids warnings, uh, giving timeouts, sort of having a structured system by which behaviors, good behaviors are rewarded and bad behaviors are um, are punished, but the punishment should not be hitting. The punishment should be something like a timeout or a, a loss of a, of a privilege. How about daycare? When the child's a little bit older, is daycare going to mess with their cognitive function or anything along those lines? No. So the, the, like, the evidence on daycare, I think I should first say, is not very good. 
um, or is is hard to interpret because, of course, the the you know circumstances of the family are going to determine a lot the kind of childcare situations they have access to. And it is true that that you know if you're going to send your kid to daycare, you want on average that daycare to be to be sort of high quality. Uh, and really, what we mean by high quality is like the kids are treated nicely, and the and the the people working at the daycare are like invested in their well-being and are engaged with them and are not you know watching watching TV. But once you sort of look at kind of good this good good quality good quality daycare, there isn't much evidence that uh, that daycare is is either better or, or worse for kids than say a, a nanny or another smaller childcare environment. It looks like maybe in the sort of daycare kind of very early on in life might lead to slightly more behavior issues, and daycare later on in life might might lead to slightly better uh, school performance. So on average, I think it's about. Uh, it's about a wash, and and it means that really, like parents should be thinking about what is the the setup, both financially and otherwise, that works for the for the family. Perfect. And do you have any other big myths or mistakes or anything along those lines that you like to highlight? Just because those are the ones I wrote down. Yeah, I think you have some good ones. I mean, I think the other one people that I that I am talking a lot with people about is is this issue of sleep location. So the question of whether um, whether you know it's like how dangerous is it really to have your baby sleep in your sleep in your bed? And there, you know, the answer is that that um, that that there are more and less safe ways to to do that. And so there's a central message, which is if you are going to have your, your baby sleep in your bed, you shouldn't be smoking or drinking and you shouldn't have a lot of covers around that there's, there's more and less safe ways to, to do this kind of co-sleeping. And then if you do it as safely as possible, there's, there is some risk, but it's, it's very small. And I think that, that often it's sort of portrayed as this like enormous outsize, um, outsize risk. And I think for some families, actually, this kind of small risk is, is uh, maybe worth it, given that they, they would enjoy that, that they think that that's the kind of sleep arrangements that will, that will work for their family. So that's another one where I think the, the data helps you move a little bit into to kind of a better ability to to confront the risks head on but also confront the the preferences that might make you you know choose one thing or another got it awesome so this is kind of unrelated to data and it's more of a interpretation question i'd I'd just love to hear your thoughts um with the big increase in technology and this shift towards more screens and living a life um, you know, where you're constantly logged on, do you see any shifts or do you have any ideas of how parenting is going to change in the next few years? And if there's anything that we can look forward to, or we should be cautious about? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I think that, you know, screens are becoming an ever more present part of our, part of our lives and, and, you know, to a large extent, part of our, part of our parenting. And I think that a lot of us are, are wrestling now with, with kind of how, how important should those, should those be and how much, how much screen time should we, should we allow? You know, you have people working out in Silicon Valley who say like, they, I never let my kids see a screen. Uh, and I think we are going to have to navigate, particularly with older kids, you know, how, how much is like, how much we accept that like, yes, this sort of phones and iPads and this stuff is going to be part of our life. And, and how much do we, do we kind of push 
push against it. I mean, I always think about like my, my eight-year-old reads, reads on a Kindle. That's like, that's how she reads. She reads on like a, you know, a a reading Kindle. And, you know, there's a sense in which that's a screen. It's not really a, it's not really a, a screen, but I wouldn't want to take that away because that's like a, that's, that's great. It means she has access to a million books without having me having to lug them around in my, in my suitcase um, on vacation. But, you know, how, what is the step from that to, to sort of having a phone and being on your phone all the time? And so I, 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 that is a space that seems to me like it's coming down the line as something we're going to need to, to confront and where there isn't at the moment much, much good data that would help us. Mm. Is that something you'll be undertaking in the future? <laughs> I think probably not, but uh, I will. I will be undertaking those choices in my own parenting. Um, but I am not sure that I will be undertaking uh, any any good research on that. It's a little outside my research space. Right, got it. So, for the people who are interested in grabbing your book or connecting with you online, where could they do so? Uh, you can find the book on Amazon, which is. I think where most people are, most people are finding it. Um, and if you want to find me, you can find me at Brown University. I am the first thing that comes up if you Google my name. Perfect. And we have another segment on the show, which is pretty unrelated to everything we talked about, possibly. Uh, it's called My Current Obsession. And I'm curious, is there anything right now in your own life that you're weirdly obsessed with? It could be a color, place, song, person, thing, really anything that you just have a strange obsession with at the moment. Oh my gosh, I don't think so. Nothing? Um, Sorry. I feel like my life is totally occupied by like my kids and Mm. my job. (laughs) I think I need to sleep more to have time for (laughs) becoming obsessed with things. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. That's definitely fair. Do you have a final message for the people listening? I think just that, you know, if you're going to gonna be parenting, try to try to enjoy it. I think that we we all kind of miss a little bit of the enjoyment of our parenting in the in the moments that we are really so focused on on trying to optimize our kids. Hmm, perfect. Well, thank you for the time today, Emily. This was awesome. Thank you very much.